we're underway, and so anyway, I'm just gonna do a quick shout out to our uh, engineer. So hey, Mark. Uh, so we've got uh, we're doing our last uh, podcast here, and so Christopher is on number two, and we have Robert, our guest, on number one. And uh, we'll go and get started. I'll have these properly labeled for you, and I'll hand the show to Chris. Are you guys ready for the countdown? Yes. All right. All right. Christopher, <clears throat> over to you in three, two. Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Christopher Anderson, and I'm host for this episode, which is being recorded from the lovely Gaylord Resort here in Nashville, Tennessee, during the Clio Cloud Conference event here in 2022. And joining me, I'm really proud and uh, pleased to be speaking with Robert Cialdini. Uh, was that close enough? That's better than most okay. by far. Uh, Robert did uh, the closing keynote um, this evening and talked about building your influence by building your relationships. And I uh, wanted to talk to him a little bit about that. But before we get started, um, Robert, first of all, let me welcome you to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. And uh, let's just get started by telling a little bit about yourself. What What is your business? What do you do? And how did you get started with it? Well, I'm a behavioral scientist, and I study persuasion and social influence. And I think the, the reason I got interested was that all my life I'd been a sucker, been an easy pushover mm. for the appeals of various kinds of salespeople or uh, fundraisers come to my door, and I would be an unwanted possession of these things. <laughs> and it occurred to me that I should be more than annoyed. I should be fascinated. I should mm. be intrigued that somehow... This person got me to say yes to something that on its merits I didn't really want, according to the features of the thing. Mm -hmm. But it was the way this person presented the merits of the offer, the features of the case that, that he or she was presenting, that swept me along. And I thought, wow, that's worth studying. What are the factors in the delivery of a case that, that make people more likely to say yes to it, holding its merits constant. So, and that led you, to, what was your course of study? Like, you decided one day, oh, this is an interesting thing to, to pursue. Um, what, what did you do to pursue that? So, I went to college with a <laughs> psychology major yeah. and then to graduate school with a major and uh, with a focus on persuasion and social influence. And um, I know you, uh, in, in, in your talk, you, you uh, had a couple of slides of you presenting to, you know, this, this, this audience was, uh, Cleo claimed it to be about 2,000, but you showed some rooms that looked quite a bit bigger. Um, what kind of groups like to hear from you? Well, they often are sales, mm -hmm. marketing, uh, fundraisers, uh, people who are interested in influencing those individuals outside of the organizational envelope that will increase the outcomes of the organization. But then after we do those talks, it's not unusual for people to come back and say, you know, that's really working well for us now that we're using these principles. How about inside the organization? Right. How do we get people on the same page with an initiative or a new practice that we want to uh, undertake? How do we influence uh, our teammates, our colleagues, even up to our uh, superiors? How do we do that? Yeah, because I mean, you, you titled it um, you know, persuasion, not sales, right? And it's, and, and it's something I think that we all engage in. Um, you know, Lawrence persuaded me to do this talk with you, and uh, and uh, you know we 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 always. I mean, kids are persuading their parents, right? Parents are persuading each other, um, and these seem to be applicable across the board um, to those. But 
when you talk to folks about m persuasion inside the business, whether it be to externals or internally, um, do do people treat these like sort of as Jedi mind tricks? Like you're you're teaching people how to how to be a Svengali and kind of fool people, or is this is this about how to just have better ways to talk about things? They don't treat it as Jedi mind tricks because the principles themselves are fairly fundamental. You wouldn't be surprised that authority, that that consensus, that scarcity, that commitment and consistency, that liking of the other person cause us to want to say yes to those individuals. The trick is in the execution of those principles. How do you implement them? What do you say exactly that harnesses mm -hmm. the power of each of those things? That gets more esoteric. That's really where the, um, the nuance comes in. And people are surprised that you can do something um, with one word, let's say. Right to change the likelihood that people will want to be a partner of yours. Yeah, it, it seemed to me like one of the threads that kind of ran through your talk today um, was thoughtfulness. I mean, I just like, it, 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 like there was like sort of this overarching theme of, of being intentional with your words, being intentional with how you use these principles. I'm gonna go through them in a second. Well, and ask you about them, but uh, but then you know you did also show some statistics which were very eye opening about like how yeah you could be thoughtful that helps it's really helpful you know the the um, reciprocation you know it's nice to give first that's sort of an overarching theme that's thoughtful yeah. but then you gave some statistics like that that were really interesting about how how you do that yeah. is also you could be thoughtful about it but then if you're intentional and you know how to do it, it makes even a bigger difference. That's the key, I think. Uh, we all know uh, that we want to influence, and we know that principles like giving first and uh, causing people to like us work, and they incline them toward us. What we don't know is how to implement those principles like uh, we just discussed to optimize mm -hmm. the effect. Yeah, and so and you broke them down, so you... you when you talked, you talked about seven principles. Yeah. I want to ask you about each one in a second, but you broke those down further into the first ones were about um, reducing uncertainty. Um, why, is, why is that important? What does that mean to reduce uncertainty in persuasion? People hate being uncertain before they make a choice. They want to be sure about the best choice. What's the best choice? And these principles work by reducing uncertainty that, yes, this is a good uh, choice. This is something that I can undertake and be right most of the time. So, for example, a principle like, the, what are the authorities saying mm -hmm. about this? What are, the, what are my peers doing w with this? All of those things like that reduce uncertainty and allow, allow you to get off the fence right. <laughs> and, and move, get into the game after yeah. your uncertainty has been uh, abated. Yeah, and it's amazing I mean, to me like how things have changed, right? Um, social proof, which was one of them that you were just saying about, what do your peers think? That's what social proof, uh, what you explained social proof to be. Like, that used to be harder to get, right? Um, you could just say, hey, you know, four out of five dentists recommend sugarless gum for their patients who chew gum. But now social proof has become like a whole industry. Um, how, how 
has authority and social proof changed as far as two of these um, principles of persuasion um, that are important? The internet has changed yeah. them. We now have access to all kinds of authorities around the world uh, who can weigh in on whether they think this product or service or idea is, is a good one, fits with the available evidence. We also have access to peers, to people who are also interested in this product and service, have experienced it, and have rated it <laughs> with stars, for right, example. Right. You know, and there's an interesting uh, study that showed that, do you know that the most effective star rating that moves people from being a visitor to your site to being uh, a, a buyer on your site is not five point stars yeah because they don't believe that oh because there are these phonies phony ratings sure. people are buying them they're counterfeiting them and so on so it turns out the most effective star rating is a span of between 4.2 stars and 4.7 stars oh wow yeah, that is surprising yeah if you go below 4.2 people say oh well maybe this isn't such a great product Above 4.7, and they get they start skeptical. To not oh, yeah. wow. So I was very pleased. I have a book that's just out now, and I was very pleased that the average rating is 4.7 stars. I don't <laughs> want anything more <laughs> than that. <laughs> you have to actually hire some detractors to come in yeah. and uh, you know, spoil your star rating. How about authority, though? How has the internet changed authority? So, I mean, I know you made a really great point that, like, you can't come to a table and sit across the table and go like, hey, let me tell you about why I am so impressive yeah. um, and why you should listen to me like that. And, and actually, I, I watched some talks here this week where the speakers kind of did that, and it is off-putting, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so can you explain a little bit about the right way to do it and how the Internet might have uh, made, it, made a change in there? Well, once again, we have access to a much broader range of authorities than the ones that are presented to us in an ad or some kind of a persuasive message. We can go online and see what yeah. a lot of authorities, legitimately constituted experts, are saying about a, an idea, let's say, right. or um, a, a product or service. And uh, that way, we we get uh, a range of uh, of. Uh, impressions and evaluations that'll that allows us to do a much better job of zeroing in on what the consensus of authority uh, speakers um, what they're saying do you, do you get a sense that like in this age where there is unfortunately not all the information out there is good information um, that uh, is the weight shifting from authority towards social proof or are they both still maintaining uh, a level of importance I think social proof has jumped up since the um, the role of the internet has uh, has uh, entered the scene uh, because there are chat groups, there are interest groups, there are people who have rated every product or service out there, and so you can go there first. I saw something. Uh, in the newspaper that, or uh, a study that was done that was reported in, in the newspaper that of people who, re who are regular users of the internet to purchase their products and services, 98% first check the reviews mm. 
98%, Chris? That's, that's everybody, yeah. You can't get 98% <laughs> of people to believe that the Earth is round. No, I don't think we but, can, right? <laughs> but you get them piling into this particular source of influence because it's so informative. Right? It yeah. tells us what the people who have beta-tested this product have uh, learned, and we get to benefit and reduce our uncertainty about what we should do in that situation. That, that is a remarkable statistic. One of the other ones you talked about, um, I totally believed, um, uh, you know, because I, I just look at myself and I think it's true, and I, I see how people do it, but the one you talked about was called scarcity. You called it scarcity? Yeah. Um, or loss aversion. How does that reduce uncertainty? How does scarcity reduce uncertainty? So if something is rare or scarce or unique or dwindling in availability... You better go now. <laughs> okay. It tells you, all right, this is the time to move. You don't get to dither any longer because it might be gone. It might be lost to you if you don't move uh, with alacrity. So it's almost moving despite some uncertainty because you're, like, you'll be certain not to get it if you don't move. That's right. You'll uh, lose. Yeah. And people hate to lose opportunities that they find valuable. And you, you made a point of that being that people hate to lose by a lot more than they love to win uh, or gain yep. things. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do we see that in action? Like, how do people demonstrate this, this loss aversion um, as opposed to the joy of, of gaining? Yep. Um, there was a study done in uh, California where researchers wanted to see w what they could do to get people to insulate their homes fully. Mm -hmm. They gave them uh, an audit of the insulation and weather stripping, and half of them were told, if you insulate your home fully, you will be able to save, to gain, a dollar a day every day on your power bill. Mm -hmm. right? The other half were told, if you fail to insulate your, phone, your home fully, you'll lose a dollar a day every day. And 150% more people bought the insulation package. And all the economics were the same otherwise. It's just that's yes, how it, it was loss language. Yeah. It activated this aversion to losing that we all feel. The last one that you talked about regarding um, this uh, reducing uncertainty had to do with commitment and consistency. Yeah. Um, and that one to me is fascinating because that's not, that's internal to the buyer, right? That's not external or not to the buyer necessarily, to the decider. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's getting the decider to somehow be consistent with their own self. What they've said or done or prioritized. So if you can ask them to do something that is consistent with what you know they have already uh, committed themselves to, they become significantly more likely to quickly say yes because the uncertainty is reduced. Oh yeah, this is what I do. This is what I, this is what I prioritize. So you show them the con connection between what they have committed themselves to and what you are offering them. All right, so can you give an example? Like how, so you would want to, you're not asking them to commit to something now. You're, asking, you're kind of relating it to something that they already have committed to? Or? So, so, for example, you, there's research to show, you can significantly increase the likelihood that people will give a donation uh, 
to um, the hurricane victims in uh, Florida if you remind them that they've given to the flood victims in New York in the okay. past. That that's who they are. This right. is what they value. They are they are this kind of person. This is what they're committed to. And what I'm asking you to do is congruent with your self-image. Right. So they, they reduce that uncertainty because yeah. they reminded of who they are. Yeah. And that's like, so you're saying, yeah, this is who you are. It's okay. Yeah. You can take this action. All right. And then after those four principles uh, that of persuasion that you listed that were for reducing uncertainty, you talked about three more. Um, reciprocity, liking, and unity. Um, do those three belong in a group too, or they uh, do they stand alone? They do belong in a group. What's that group? It's the group of of principles that produce influence by building relationships with the person to be influenced. Got it. And so reciprocity was one of them, reciprocation, I think you yeah. called it. Um, how does that work? Like, what, uh, is this like when I get uh, when when a charitable organization is looking for a donation, they send me a dollar? Um, uh, is that is that what we're talking about, or is it something more? Complex? It is. Yeah. So people say yes to those they owe mm -hmm. because of the rule for reciprocation. Uh, you're not allowed to take without giving in return in right. the culture. We have very nasty names for people <laughs> who do that. Uh, so people don't want to see themselves that way. So if they accept uh, a gift from you and they see it as a gift, they, they register it as a favor, now they owe you one. And so... Uh, you have established a sense of, gra they, they feel grateful to you and obligated to you, and they want to say yes um, as a result. And I think you talked about to trigger this, um, this way of thinking and the, to produce the relationship but in a, in a, in a way that works, um, you have to be, you have to come out with that gift first. And, and it has to be, I think you yes, said, it. meaningful and, and, and tailored. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so it, so it has to be meaningful, it has to be uh, Unexpected, not something ah, that yeah. everybody uh, expects. Oh, yeah, that's part of this thing. The, you know how we send out uh, uh, Christmas cards. Everybody says, well, that's you don't feel obligated. If somebody sends out, everybody gets those cards. But um, it's, it's non-standard. You've given them something that's not just part of the course of things. right? And then finally that it's tailored or personalized to the individual who is receiving the favor or gift. That optimizes, maximizes the willingness of people to give back to you. Yeah, and then uh, you, you, I think, made a really key point, because you know, I, I travel a lot, I think you travel a lot, and, and I think various um, hospitality uh, organizations try try this reciprocity thing, right? You know, I'll, I'll come to a hotel and there'll be a note, handwritten note, with some grapes and maybe maybe a bottle of bubbly um, in the room. Just so you know, so glad you came back to our hotel, or so so happy that you're with us for a week. Um, but what I you mentioned the thing about not wa not wasting. I forget I forget your words, but not wasting the thank you, um, and 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 you know letting that reciprocity moment yes. go. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So it's not thank you for coming back. It's here's a gift to honor your, the decision to come to join us again. Mm -hmm. So in one case, thank you completes the circuit. It's right. that everything's even now. But a gift. That begins the process of exchange. So you, you have to. So that's one of those ones where the nuance correctly. is really important. Yeah, yeah. And so you're saying to connect 
connect the thank you to the behavior you're looking to um, reward and get more of. Yeah, it, it, I wouldn't even say a thank you, but yeah. to the That's gift or favor or service. Yeah, to what this person is um, uh, it has done and that you feel uh, it deserves uh, acknowledgement. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And then you talked about liking, and you know I've I've, I've helped to to train and grow sales organizations. And one of the things we talk about in referrals is that people prefer to buy from people that they know, like, and trust. Right? That, that that's the yeah. phraseology. And you use the word liking in your talk. What did you mean by liking in this as a principle of persuasion? Well, that people prefer to do business with those they like, those that they feel a sense of connection or rapport with. And we talked about a couple of ways to do that. One is to mention true similarities that Mm -hmm. exist. People like those who are like them. The other is to give genuine praise where it's called for because people like those who do like them Mm. and say so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just yeah, really just... So the connect, connection you, you mentioned, like if you have gone to the same school, or if you both have kids, or right. um, or whatever, and then yeah, a, 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 an honest compliment. They always have. It always has to be honest. It always, mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, there's deception that gets uh, uncovered, and then you lose all credibility. Right, and that's yeah, that could be very damaging. And then the last one that you talked about was unity. And this one had, this was another one of those that had these like really interesting statistics for the nuance. Um, but what, what do you mean by unity when you're talking about that as a principle of persuasion? Instead of just similarity, it's that we belong in the same category as one another. Um, here's an example. Um, there was a study done on a college campus. Researchers had a young woman about college age dressed like a student. Um, ask for donations to the United Way. There was a United Way table there, and she was getting some uh, results because she was similar to them in age and dress and so on. But if she added one sentence, she increased contributions by 450%. What was the sentence? The sentence was, I'm a student here too. Wow. I'm one of you. And you say yes to those people who are of you to a much greater extent. So she took it from, I look like you, to I'm I am similar you. to you, to I am of you. Yeah. I'm one of you, yeah. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the talking about, about unity, you also talked about, um, about how to uh, get feedback, and not using that word, in fact, um, from people when, you, when you're trying to influence them or when you're trying to bring them into a decision-making process. Um, and and that, that was just really meaningful to me about how you phrased that. Um, so you, you made clear not to, not to ask people for opinions. Yeah, um, when you're looking for buy-in with an idea that you have, an initiative you have, a new program that you would like to run up the ladder in your organization, and you need some you need some buy-in from your colleagues that who also like this and and so what you typically do is show them an outline of your idea or blueprint or uh, something like that and you ask for their opinion what do you think of this it's great to to get their buy-in but it's wrong to ask for their opinion because when you ask for an opinion you get a critic right yeah you get somebody who steps away back away from you and goes inside themselves to introspect about the features of your idea. 
if instead you change one word and you ask for their advice, you get a partner. You ask people to join you, to be together with you as a collaborator on this idea. And the research shows you get more favorable responses to your idea and you get better feedback you get you get better evaluations mm. of your idea the more helpful ones right to bring it uh, into and a higher quality and it would seem they actually take some ownership then of, of the project itself that's that's exactly the right word ownership you know there's a i think it was Saul Bellow uh, was quoted as saying when you when you ask someone for their opinion excuse me when you ask someone for their advice you're looking for an accomplice. Mm. <laughs> I like that. And here's what the research shows. If you get that advice, you get that accomplice. Mm-hmm. And you've done that. Well, we've reached the end of the time that we have for this episode. I wanted to uh, thank you for, for joining us and, and talking about your, your principles of of for talking about your principles of persuasion. It's, it's a tough one to get out, but <laughs> yeah. thank you very much. I enjoyed it, Chris. Thank you. And we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I do want to thank uh, Robert Cialdini uh, for joining us today and uh, also thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Great job. Okay. Yeah. Good. I like the advice.